As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? At this time of year, even in an increasingly secular culture like ours, people's attention shifts even ever so slightly to questions about religion. Mentions of God increase dramatically. Articles are written about the history of Christmas, though many of them wrongly state that it's pagan in origin. Others will write reports about recent polling on religious adherence or general beliefs on what people believe about Jesus or believe about God in general. Regardless of what is being discussed, there is no question that Christmas is a time when it becomes socially acceptable to speak about God. I've recently stumbled across an article that stated that Christmas is the annual sacred Christian holiday that commemorates the birth of Jesus Christ, the spiritual leader and founder of Christianity. I read that sentence and I walked away half-pleased. I was happy to see that even in a secular publication, the definition of Christmas was focused on Jesus. It's a big step in the right direction. like seeing that. The second half of the sentence, though, is more than a little lacking. To state that Jesus is the spiritual leader and founder of Christianity is to miss the mark. It misses who he really is. It has notes of accuracy, sure, but it is certainly not the whole picture, is it? And this incomplete picture, it certainly lines up with popular misunderstandings about Jesus, which always minimize who he really is and who the Bible claims him to be, who he himself claimed to be. That's to be expected. We shouldn't expect those who are not Christian, who don't believe in Jesus, to really understand who he is, Lord willing, if they understood who he was or is. They would believe. Even with Christmas as prevalent as it is, we can't assume that those around us will have a, a strong sense of who Jesus really is. And so it's the, the role of the church and of individual Christians to present him for who he is. And there is no better time to do that than at Christmas. After all, our minds, our hearts, our eyes are drawn towards questions about God. Even for those of us who might claim to not believe in it. That's why I was saddened to discover a particular poll that was conducted recently. A recent poll of evangelical Christians, people who, who themselves self-identify as evangelical Christians, it found that 78% of them agreed with the statement that Jesus is the greatest and first created person. That means, remarkably, that while a secular publication got the definition of Christmas half right, 
a very large portion of evangelical Christians got the definition of who Jesus is completely wrong. In fact, it is so wrong to say that Jesus is the first and greatest created being that to believe that is actually to put yourself outside of orthodox Christian belief. It is to embrace a heresy that first appeared in the earliest days of the faith and directly contradicts what we read in John 1. Now, I bring this up on Christmas Eve. You're all like, why are you hammering me with evangelical beliefs on Christmas Eve? I bring this up on Christmas Eve because I often hear Christians and have myself many times lamented about how secular Christmas has become. In fact, it's almost a badge of identification in certain Christian circles. Like, you're not really committed to Jesus unless you have complained about what culture has done to Christmas. I've been there. I've said the complaints. I've gone on the rants. I've posted the super long Facebook posts. I've been that guy. I get it. I get the frustration. And yet we're complaining about that, and here we have a large portion of Christians who are so unclear on who Jesus really is that they've embraced non-Christian belief about him. And since Christmas is a time when our hearts and our minds are drawn toward God, what better time for us who claim faith in Christ to become all the more clear? And that means understanding that at Christmas, we celebrate the coming of the Son of God, God himself, who is the only way we can know God and become a child of God. John chapter 1 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible for understanding just who Jesus really is. Our passage this evening is filled with remarkable words, and it concludes with this statement. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, admittedly, that translation is a little rough. A little tough to get through. And in, de in defense of the translators, it's a challenging verse to bring into to English. But something a little better, maybe a little more understandable, might be no one has ever seen God, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Now the reason I prefer that translation is that it brings out some crucial things for us that the other one masks a little bit. Three words, begotten, revelation, and relationship. Three words that are absolutely crucial to understand if we're going to know who Jesus really is. Begotten, revelation, and relationship. Begotten, not made, or created, right? It's something that we confess as Anglicans week after week after week in the Nicene Creed. Begotten. It's not exactly a word you hear on the streets every day, is it? It's not really a word you're going to hear outside of a church, is it? But the difference between begetting and creating is absolutely crucial. Begetting is to cause something to happen. Creating is to bring into existence. 
John explicitly uses the word for begetting, not creating. And he does it to signal to us that Jesus was never created. He is not, in fact, the first and greatest created being, but rather has come from the Father. In fact, John tells us explicitly that Jesus has existed forever. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And just to make it absolutely clear who he's talking about, who this Word is, in verse 14, John tells us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is telling us here that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. And that means that Jesus was there in the very beginning. The beginning of beginnings. Capital B, beginning. He made all things that were made. Jesus. Which means... He himself was never made, but always existed. And it is so because he is himself God. Only God can exist without needing to be created. Only God can create something from nothing. Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with the Father. He was and is God. He's the only begotten Son. Do you see now the difference between a biblical definition of Jesus and that incorrect definition we heard earlier? Do you see the problem with what 78% of evangelical Christians have agreed to? They're denying that Jesus is eternal. Now, I say that not to beat up on evangelical Christians, which admittedly is popular in many circles. I consider myself to be an evangelical Christian. And so my heart breaks when I hear that so many people, so many Christians have gotten the answer to that question so horribly wrong. It is absolutely crucial to get this begotten peace right because without it, Jesus is just some, some nice guy. He's just a really good guy who walked the earth and, yeah, he probably knew a bit more about God than the rest of us. But with it, with being the only begotten Son, Jesus now becomes the one who reveals the Father to us, who through whom we see God. John tells us that he, Jesus, has made the Father known. He's revealed him. Well, if no one has ever seen God, as John says right before what I just read, and yet Jesus reveals him, that tells us Jesus can't just be another guy. He can't just be a really good dude walking around. 
This is not the birth of just a really good person. He's unique, utterly unique. No one has ever been like him. No one will ever be like him. He is the only one who can make God known to us. And so that tells us that if you want to know about God, you want to know what it is to really believe in God, you want to know what he's like, you want to know what it is to follow him, guess what? You've got to know about Jesus. It's the only way. I'm going to give you another stat. I like stats. I'm going to give you another one. I worked in polling for a long time. You can't blame me for using stats. Currently in Canada, belief in God, defined however you like, okay, not explicitly Christian, just belief in God generally. Right now in Canada, 60% of people believe in God in one way or another. That number does not shock me, but it does sadden me. Yes, in part because of the 40% who don't believe in God are unsure. But also in large part because of that 60%. Because how many of those people just believe in God in this general sense? Like, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, there's something up there. There's got to be. How many people think that just nodding your head toward the divine is enough? How many people are so close to genuine faith and yet they miss the mark? Breaks my heart to think about them. Because what they don't know or what they don't believe is that to know God, to believe in that whatever is up there, to really know Him, you got to know Jesus. And in seeing and knowing Jesus, you see God. And here's what you see about Him. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Friends, God desires you to have life. Not just walking around, living and breathing, eating, sleeping, but life. Real, genuine life. And that means hope and joy and peace. How do we know that? Because of perhaps my favorite part of one of my favorite chapters. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, John tells us, is the light of life. He is the light in our dark world, and he has come to bring us light. And the darkness cannot, has not, and will not ever overcome him. That's whose birth we celebrate this evening. That is who we welcome this evening. The light that drives out the darkness. That tells us that guess what? God loved you enough that he would come himself into the darkest places of this world. That there might be light. Those places that are filled with death and despair and depravity. He came to those that there might be hope and life and joy, and those things will never be defeated. No matter how dark and desperate things may seem because of Jesus, because the light has entered into the darkness, there is always hope. Life is possible, joyful, 
peaceful, hopeful life. It is there. It is possible. It's found in Christ. And we can have them because he came for us. Because light has entered the darkness. He came for us and he has revealed God to us. And you can have that. You can have him. You can have God because of what John tells us in verse 18. That Jesus is at the Father's side, or more literally, in the bosom of the Father. He's close to him, as close as one could ever be. It's language that is meant to describe the relationship that Jesus has with the Father. It's the relationship he longs to give us as well. He wants us to have the same relationship with God that he does, and that's possible because John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And because he did that, there is hope of eternal relationship with our God. One of my uh, favorite pastors, I don't think you're supposed to have favorite pastors, but oh well. <laughs> One of my favorites is uh, Tim Keller. If you haven't heard of him, you should definitely Google him. It's well worth your time. He talks about what is on offer at Christmas. He writes about just how incredible Christmas is. He says this, Christmas means not just hope for the world, despite all its unending problems, but hope for you and me, despite all our unending failings. That is what grace and truth are all about. You see, friends, the truth is that sin is real. And all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. And so all people are in need of forgiveness and redemption. So many people in our world, they look at Jesus or they think about him and they recoil. They turn away from him, not because they have something against the church or they don't like Christians, but because deep down they know their own sin. And that purity and holiness of Jesus, that that light in the darkness, right? It, it comes and it shines upon the darkness of our own hearts. And let's face it, we don't love that. But darkness can only be driven out by light. We need that light to shine on us, to shine in our hearts so that the darkness that we cling to and, and we love so much, it might finally be revealed as the problem that it is, as the thing that needs to be conquered. Sadly, at this point, many people convince themselves that they're beyond redemption, they're beyond forgiveness and saving, that there's too much sin in their own life. Their sin is exposed and they assume that there's no way back. But never forget what John tells us here. Because Jesus came, the light has entered the darkness and the light is always victorious. Forgiveness is on offer for each and every one of us. That is the truth of it. And it is true because Jesus came full of grace. He came with truth. The truth that all sin and all are in need of a Savior and that He is Himself our Savior. And He came with grace. 
The free, unmerited, loving kindness of our God. That is what Jesus brings. You see, it is the heart of God that none should perish, but all that would turn. That they would repent, they would come to him. Because it is the heart of God for us to have that relationship with him that he created us for. The relationship that father has with son. And so to make that happen, our father sent Jesus. By his own grace, his own unmerited loving kindness. So that by the grace of Jesus Christ, he would do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He would save us. By grace you have been saved. By faith. And this was not your own doing, Paul tells us in Ephesians. Jesus came. It's the moment we celebrate tonight. He came and he lived and he died and he rose again. So that by his life, death, and resurrection, we might be saved. Not by what we have done, but by his grace. Not even if you're that person who goes overboard every Christmas and buys everybody the greatest present that they could ever imagine. You could be the nicest person in the world. It's not how you're saved, friends. It is all the grace of Jesus. There is hope for us all because at Christmas, grace came down from heaven. And through his grace, we can have an ending relationship with our God. That perfect relationship. A father perfectly loving you. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And here is the best news you're going to hear. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is what Jesus has done for you. That is what God desires for you, to be made a child of his. It's not enough to keep walking around with the general belief in God. It's not true that everyone is a child of God. That happens one way, by the grace of Jesus Christ and faith in him. And that is why Christmas matters. Because in coming for us, Jesus shows us that our Father wants us for his very own, to be his children, knowing the love and comfort and protection that only he can give. That does not happen unless we know who Jesus really is. Maybe for some of us here tonight, that's all new to you. Now, it's news that you haven't heard before. Maybe you're realizing that actually you are in that 78%. You got Jesus wrong. Well, friends, the good news is that whether you've never heard it before, you never understood it before, or you never received it before, you've rejected it your entire life, guess what? It's true. And the gift of God's grace, the gift of his son can be received. You can be a child of God to live with the blessings of God himself because on Christmas, light has entered into the darkness and overcame it. The son who made all things, who made even you, came as a child so that we might have life in him so that the hopeless, wayward sinner can be forgiven and made God's own forever. 
at this time, even in an increasingly secular culture like ours, people's minds shift ever so slightly to religious questions. This Christmas, would you be willing to ask yourself those very questions? Who is this boy? Who do I believe him to be? Who are we really celebrating? Do I know him? At Christmas, grace came down for you. Light entered the darkness for you. Jesus, the Son of God, came for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.